Well, good morning. This is, uh, this is overwhelming for me. Um, but I think I'm thankful for Pete just because of the kind of guy he is. But I think it adds a level of credibility when you have a guy with a British accent introduce you. <laughs> right? I, I, feel, I feel like I'm accepting a literary award or, you know... I'm going to be knighted or something, right? So, <laughs> so thanks, thanks for setting the bar really high. You know, it's, um, it, it, meant, it meant a lot speaking with you this weekend. It was nice that, uh, you know, you were willing to introduce me. And it does feel like a homecoming to me. Um, my wife and I and my family have been coming to Cultivate for uh, about 17 months, 16 months, um, and I, like Pete said, I was in ministry for 13, almost 14 years prior to us attending Cultivate. And Cultivate has been a tremendous place of healing for our family. Uh, just even if you don't know me, and I haven't, we haven't had the chance to talk or be introduced. There, haven't, there hasn't been many people that haven't been a blessing to our family just by seeing the realness that's here, the authenticity that's here, the um, genuine love for Jesus that almost to a person is present every time we get together. And that's part, that's part of the reason why it's so overwhelming for me to be up here speaking with you. It's an honor I was very humbled to have Jay ask me to, to share, and I'm hoping that my two-year uh, time off from preaching uh, doesn't result in, well, first, that it's effective, and I don't know effective in communicating, but that I can keep my emotions in check. And I'm, I'm trying not to, uh, given that you'll see why as I tell my story a little bit, and uh, share from this psalm, and I'm going to try not to keep or try not to make eye contact with my wife. <laughs> She's beautiful and wonderful, but if we, yeah, thank you guys, cover her up. <clears throat> if she could just lay on the floor the whole sermon, that would, that would be great. So, you know, I'm just praying that God is glorified this morning. Um, aside from my, you know, personal feelings about being up here, um, I'm just praying that he's glorified. So, Psalm 119 is where we'll be today. Uh, it's page 429, not, not the whole Psalm 119. I, I sensed some, some scared people in there <laughs> when I said that. Psalm 119, 169 through 76 is the text we'll be looking at. Yes, we will not be having a five-hour sermon <laughs> Um, so we're going to read that, I will pray, and then we'll, we'll dive into the text. Psalm 119, 169 through 176. <clears throat> May my cry come before you, Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. May my supplication come before you. Deliver me according to your promise. May my lips overflow with praise. For you teach me your decrees. May my tongue sing of your word, for all your commandments are righteous. 
May your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, Lord, and your laws give me delight. Let me live that I may praise you, and may your laws sustain me. I have strayed like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I have not forgotten your commands. Let's pray. Father, You've given us these psalms to read, and they just, you have a way of just opening up our hearts and getting to the core of who we are as people through these psalms. And Lord, I just pray that this psalm today in particular would touch the lives of each person here as you see fit. That no matter where we are in our faith this morning, that we would leave here with an understanding that your truth, your word, your promises has to be central in our lives has to be the thing that we cry out for as believers. has to be the thing that we, that inspires us to praise you. And ultimately has to be the thing that rescues us when we're in trouble. And Lord, I just thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for this church. I thank you so much for the body of Christ that you put here that Although imperfect, you use through that imperfection to show love, to show grace, to show mercy, to show acceptance, and to help us grow in Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. So, after reading that psalm, for those of you that maybe this is your first week here, Jay likes to do a little bit of dialogue. So we're going to start off with a question. As we read that psalm, that portion of Psalm 119, if you had to guess at the emotional state of the psalmist, now, a little side note, some people say David wrote this, some people say he didn't, Charles Spurgeon says he did, so I'm not going to argue with Charles Spurgeon on that. <laughs> um, so we just, you know, if you're, if you're I don't know how relevant that is and important to you, but that was just a little side note for me. Um, I always like to kind of know who wrote what. But um, when when you read this, when you hear these words, if you had to guess at the emotional place that the psalmist is in in life, what what are some words you'd use to describe where where he's at? Sad. Depressed, yes. Desperate, great word, yes. Lost, yeah. I heard one over here. Heartbroken, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Grieving, yeah. Absolutely. And we get that in the first couple verses. Um, We see he's saying, 
he's crying out. He's used the, the, the word supplication is in the NIV translation. But that literally means begging, pleading with God. And I don't know if you've, ha- if you've been at a time in your life where you felt that you were begging or pleading with God, but it, it doesn't, it's not a pleasant place to be in. It's not enjoyable to be in that place. All those emotions that you guys mentioned are wrapped up into this psalm, into the heart of the psalm. And what we're going to look at today is three things for a person that's crying out to God. One, we're going to notice in the first two verses that when the psalmist cries out, he cries out for something very specific, and that's truth. It's God's word. Second, we're going to see that the psalmist is inspired to praise because of truth. And finally, we're going to see that the psalmist is rescued by God through his truth. And just as a little bit of theology theology with this, um, we see in this, this passage that there's a lot of words used to describe God's word. It's kind of, there's like synonyms, every verse to describe God's word. And that's not just the psalmist kind of taking out a thesaurus and saying, all right, what word can I put in here? You know, this one sounds good. I'll put in precepts here. I'll put in commandments here. I'll put in truth here. Or I'll put in uh, word here, law here. It's intentional. And what we have to understand as we dive into this is that these are words that describe God's covenant relationship with his people. These are words that he's put in place that are not like academic words for us. They're not words that we just need to um, take in and kind of tear apart and you know just define for the sake of understanding it. But we have to realize the emotional context behind it and, and look at these as relationship words. These are words that God is using describe his relationship with his people. These are words that are important to God for us to understand how he's going to relate to us. How he wants us to relate to him. And all of us have relationships. We have marriage relationships. We have parent-child relationships. We have friendship relationships. And you, you understand the, in those contexts the importance of words. The importance of, you know, if my wife says a phrase to me or something to me, it, it's going to carry a lot more weight than if somebody that I don't know says the same exact thing. So here we have God talking to his people, choosing his words very carefully, and They're words that he wants us to build a relationship off of. They're words that he wants us to internalize in our heart and and into our emotions. To realize that this this isn't a, a game that we're playing. This isn't some, 
you know, superficial relationship that's taking place. This is a covenant relationship. This is a relationship based on promise. This is a relationship based on eternal, eternal truths. Let Let that penetrate your heart. That we have a God who is eternal, who created the universe, who made you and I, and He's reaching out to us in in this personal way so that He can be the most important thing in our lives, the most important relationship in our lives. And that kind of, for me at least, sets the, the... the tone of this passage. Understanding that. Understanding that these words for God's Word are not just pulled out of, out of a thesaurus. They're not just in there for no reason. But they have meaning behind them. And you see, word, when, when we see the word word and the word promise, means what God has spoken. Think about the power of that what the God of the universe has spoken. So it takes a simple word in our vocabulary, which is word or promise, something that we throw around all the time, and increases the magnitude of it, makes it infinitely bigger. We see decrees, probably not a word that you use often, but it means what the divine lawgiver has laid down. So the ultimate authority has said something, put it in place, and it's there to stay. That's what that means. Commands, simply what God has commanded. And I don't know how often we receive commands. You know, maybe your work, probably that's probably the most likely place that you receive commands, I guess. Um, maybe in your household, I don't know. Um <laughs> Um, but when we think about a, a command, that for me anyway, that doesn't necessarily strike me as like a pleasant thing, a command, right? Um, but we're talking about a the highest authority, God, directing our lives, giving us direction. speaking into our lives in a way that if we did not have these commands, we would be lost. So for me, it helps kind of take the word command out of a a negative zone. You know, you think of commands, you know, probably use it a lot when you're training a dog. I don't have a dog, but, you know, that's probably, I don't know, something that's, you know, an easy connection for, for everyday language, you know. But it kind of takes it out of that realm and puts it into something more special, more personal, more intimate. And then we have precepts. Again, another word probably not commonly used on a daily basis. But it's what God has appointed to be done. Again, there's power in that. I know that if you have a to-do list, and I I used to try to do to-do lists, and... I never got anything done on the to-do list, so 
I didn't do the list anymore. And <laughs> so, you know, we, some of you probably are really good with it. Some of you probably, you know, have everything planned out. I know Jay is like that, and I admire that about him. You know, if you've ever, I got to see Jay's calendar once, and it's just like a work of art, <laughs> like <laughs> the, de- the level of detail in it. And I, I've always wanted to ask him, you know, how good is he at, at keeping all those things, you know, in reality. But this is, I don't want to say this is God's to-do list, but this is what God has laid out before his people that he expects to be done. He, ex- he expect he said this, it's related to his promises, He's put it out to his people, and he expects it to get done. He expects it, he expects it to happen. And finally, law. The word Torah, Hebrew, probably you're familiar with that, means simply instruction. And it's a very tender word. It's instruction as a parent would instruct a child or a loving teacher would instruct a student. Again, the word instruction, mentally we can kind of put that in a a very um, not emotional context. You know, we, we, we can say instruction or hear the word instruction and have it not strike us emotionally. But what God's trying to convey to us is He's a loving teacher. He's a just lawgiver. And this is, this is a tender word to be able to receive instruction from a loving God, from a graceful God, should be something that impacts our hearts, that affects how we see Him and how we relate to Him. So I wanted to give you that, that little, those pieces of information as we kind of look at these verses and hopefully it'll it'll maybe allow us to dig a little deeper into the words or have the words impact us a little bit stronger rather than glancing over them rather than just kind of putting them in a category of like everyday language for us and have them be something more special or in the special place that God wants them to be for our lives First point this morning is crying out for truth. Um, the psalmist, as we already discussed, is obviously in distress. Distress. He's crying out to hear from God. And like, like I said before, supplication is a word, again, we don't use often. <laughs> but... It's kind of a fancy word for begging and pleading. And it's a hard place to be in your life when you're begging and pleading for anything, let alone before a holy God. We get the picture of somebody who is deeply troubled, who's bewildered, confused, lost, and begging for deliverance. Now the thing that means so much to me in these verses, and we'll read them again in a second, 
is that the means for the deliverance that the psalmist is requesting is truth. He's begging God. He's pleading with God to be rescued. And he's saying, I need truth to rescue me. I need your truth to rescue me. So if you want to put a picture to it, if there's somebody out in the ocean and they're, you know, they're struggling, they're drowning, they're waving for help, you know, the, the life guard, the person that's going to be coming out to rescue is truth, is God's law, is God's word, his perfect word. That's the means to the rescue. And we don't ask that of God a lot, do we? When we're looking for rescue, when we're in crisis, Truth is not the first thing that we think of to ask for. Right? So I'll ask you guys. You don't have to get too personal. You can give generic answers or you can think about somebody else's situation. But what are some common things, aside from truth, that we look to for rescue, that we call out for in our lives, that we crave, that we beg for, to rescue us in times of crisis. Yeah. Yes. Just get it done the way I want. Right? Right. Yeah, God is, a, God is our contractor. Right? He's, um, we, we've hired him to complete a job, and it's not looking the way we want it to look. So God, fix this. <laughs> right? And, yeah, we approach it that way. What else? Yeah, Andrew. Yeah, absolutely. Just make the pain go away. Right? Whatever gets the pain to go away, I'll take it. Right? I know that I've been there. And I, and I have a feeling that I'm not the only one. Um, if I am, I want to talk to every single one of you after the service and figure out what your secret is. Um, just make the pain go away. Comfort, yeah. Right, right. Yeah, we look to everything but God and His truth. So to spring off of that, maybe, and I saw there were other hands there, we'll, we'll get to them, but to spring off of that, if somebody wants to answer what are some common idols that we go after, that would be helpful too. Any other thoughts? Hands? Yeah, oh, sorry, well, go ahead, what? Friends, yes. You know, friends can be a means to truth, but a lot of times what we do is we surround ourselves with people that tell us what we want to hear, right? We surround ourselves with people who we know are going to say, oh, you are just wonderful. That crisis that you're experiencing, that's, that's an anomaly. That's not you. It's not your fault. It's, you know, it's going to go away in no time because of who you are, you know. And some of us crave that. Some of us, you know, that's like a drug for some of us, right, to hear that affirmation, that positive affirmation constantly. And we, we surround ourselves with people that will tell us what we want to hear. But then other times, 
God, and I've experienced this, I've experienced both, but I've experienced God using friends and relationships to speak truth into our lives. And that's the good, that's the kind of people you want to be around. The people that are not pointing you to them or just giving you, you know, platitudes of comfort, but are pointing you to truth, giving you truth. Exactly right. Yeah, we what we do is, and we might not even realize that we're doing it, but what we do is we figure out the problem for God. So we, we're in the middle of a crisis, whatever it is. It could be an, an internal emotional crisis. It could be uh, an external crisis, a crisis of finance, a crisis of health, anything. And what we do is we figure out the answer first, right? And then we go to God. And we say, I've, I did the legwork for you, God. Um, I did the research. Here's the best solution. Please make that happen. Right? The psalmist isn't doing that. The psalmist isn't doing that. He's saying, I'm lost. I'm begging. I'm pleading. And my deliverance comes from your truth. You dictate to me what I need to hear. You give me the information that is going to change my heart, change my situation, change my life. But we, it, it's so, at least for me, it's so foreign to, to have that be the first reaction when we face crisis. Usually for me, it's feel sorry for myself. So, you know, spend X amount of time feeling sorry for myself. And then you go into this, the fa- like you were talking about, okay, Here's the solution. It might be more money. It might be more friends. It might be more, um, I don't know, what time. There you go. Fill in the blank. God, give me those things, please. That'll make everything all better. And it goes back to what Andrew said. It's all about comfort. It's all an end to, to the means of comfort. And truth, I can guarantee you, is not comfortable. Most of the time, it is not comfortable. And especially when you're in crisis, and especially if you cause the crisis, if we've caused the crisis, truth is going to sting. God's truth is going to sting. But it's what you need. It's what we need. So crying out for, tr- for truth. We'll just read Psalm 119, 169 to 170 again. May my cry come before you, Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. May my supplication, my begging, my pleading come before you. Deliver me according to your promise. Not deliver me according to my desires. Deliver me according to what my neighbor has. (laughs) Deliver me according to what I see on television and want really bad. (laughs) You know, whatever it is. Deliver me according to your promise. 
it reveals so much about our hearts, what we run to when we're in crisis, doesn't it? I don't know if any of you would say you're in the midst of crisis or distress at this moment. Examine your hearts. What's your, what, what's your heart longing for in, the, in that moment? What are you pleading with God to give you? And if it's not, if you're not starting with this truth, you're starting in the wrong place. And it's going to veer you off the course of where you need to be. Psalm 25.5 gives us a little added aspect to this. It says, Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are my God and Savior. And my hope is in you all day long. Again, truth and God's teaching is the basis for hope. Is the basis for the future deliverance. And if we're not putting our hope and trust and our lives into God's truth and we're putting it into something else that, that you all mentioned that we talked about, you're putting it in the hands of something that is not capable of handling it. Take money, for instance. If you're in the middle of crisis, it might seem, oh, $50,000, $100,000 would just solve everything. Right? Probably every person in here is like, yes, $50,000. Right? <laughs> um, it would just solve everything. It's non-taxed. It's non-taxed. Yeah. We'll throw that in. Since we're playing imagination games, we'll just say it's non-taxed, right? <laughs> um, I'd take it even if it was taxed, but that's just... <laughs> I'll just be honest with you. Um, <laughs> um we're putting it in the hands of something that's not capable of handling the problem. It might be a temporary Band-Aid. You know, $50,000, $100,000 might solve some immediate problems for us right now. But it's just putting a Band-Aid on a cancer, on something that is eating away, and it's not going to come anywhere close to healing it, to fixing it. So... What, what's God revealing to you this morning about who or what you cry out to when you're in crisis, when you're in distress? Second point, inspired to praise because of truth. And if you take the first two verses and the last four verses, and you, and you take this middle part out, the middle two verses, you, you'd have... A, a real cohesive thing. You'd have a, a pretty cohesive theme going through. You know, this guy is super bummed out about life, right? And crying out for deliverance. And, you know, it continues on in the last four verses, kind of carries through that theme. But these middle two verses go in our, well, in my mind when I read it, kind of go off track a little bit because he starts talking about praise. Now, I don't know about you, but... 
Have you ever found it difficult in the midst of crisis, in the midst of distress, in the midst of hurt, to praise God? Am I the only one? For me, it when I face crisis, I don't know if it's my personality. I don't know if it's my sinfulness. It is my sinfulness, ultimately. But when I face crisis of any kind, I want to hide from God for some reason. For some reason. It may not even be a sin issue. It may just be that I'm faced with the challenge of providing for my family. It may be that I'm faced with the hurt of relationships. And I don't want to praise God. And I don't know why that, I don't know why that is. I cannot figure out why my heart goes that way automatically. And I want to share a little bit of my story um, at this point. As Pete said, I've spent the last 13 years, uh, well, no, not the past, spent 13 years full-time ministry, um, youth and young adult for the majority of that time. That was the joy, it was such a joy to me to be able to teach the Word to teens, young adults, college-age kids, spend time with them. And about, let's see, almost two years ago, it'll be two years in December, we had our youth meeting on uh, Wednesday nights. And this one particular Wednesday night was going along just like every other Wednesday night. And um, there was a, we had a little praise team, and it was all the kids in the youth group. And one of the <clears throat> leaders of the praise team was a boy named Zach. Um, he was a senior in high school. He was a gifted, gifted guitar player. He was an energetic kid. And just, you know, a central part of, of our youth group. Just there every week. Every, friends with almost everybody. And we ended youth group. And where our, our youth, the youth room was located, parents would line up outside on the street to pick their kids up. And his mom was parked across the street. And he went to his mom's car, was ready to get in, realized he forgot his guitar, ran out to the street, got hit by a car, and died. In, well, I've had medical people tell me he didn't feel any pain. So that is a blessing, but it was awful as you can imagine, to um, experience that. And 
from that point, I just, I don't know. I, I, I don't like, I don't think the word burnout works. <laughs> but I just shut down. <laughs> I just couldn't do it anymore. And I, I had to end my ministry at that church for my health. Um, and I think ultimately for the health of the, the, the kids in the youth group because I was not present for them the way that I needed to be. But, you know, some, some of you I, I know have gone through terrible things. And I, I can't imagine, you know, the pain and suffering that's in this room right now. And I'm not trying to elevate mine above yours by any means. Um, it's just my story. I have, it's part of who I am, so I'm sharing it with you. Um, and... I just, from that point, I had such a hard time praising God, even for the simplest things. And I knew, I knew that God was sovereign. I knew that He loved me. I knew that He had a plan. I knew that even in spite of the horrific thing that I saw happen. He is good. Somehow, I, I don't know how all those things, you know, stayed true in my mind and my heart. Well, I know it's because of his spirit in me. But I couldn't bring myself to praise him. I wanted to hide. I didn't want to be in church. I didn't want to hear the word of God. I didn't want to sing praise songs. And I don't know if you can identify with that. It's just, it's such a hard place to be in saying, I know, I know that I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm not denying Christ by any means. I'm not turning my back on God. But I'm, I'm withdrawing, I'm hiding. And... The thing that when we get to that point, I hope you never do, but if you've ever been to that point where the crisis in your life is, is so heavy, is so big and overwhelming that you cannot praise God, what you need to do is submerge yourself in truth. Take yourself back to the most basic truths that you can find. The, 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 even if it's John 3.16, and that's all that you can say, you know, the verse that everyone has memorized. If that's the only truth that you can muster to tell yourself or, or to be reminded of, then do it. That is the only thing that's going to bring you back to the place to restore you to a posture of praise. To restore your life to a place where you can be in 
fellowship with God again and worshiping Him, obeying Him, living for Him, and seeing His goodness clearly. Truth is the road to getting there when you cannot praise. When you are in crisis and you cannot praise and worship, truth is what gets you there. Even the simplest truths. Even the most basic truths. Finally, rescued by truth. Um, I want to... I really want to be able to stand up here and tell you that I'm on the other side of this. But I'm not. There are, there are days where... There are days where I don't feel rescued. Um, you know, um, man, is that bad that I'm crying the first time I speak up here? Oh, gosh. <laughs> Who said yes? <laughs> Josh. <laughs> Thank you. That helped. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you have to. Yes, please do. Um, never having him speak again. Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> um, I, I wish I could say, you know, I wish I could be a, a, a case study of somebody who's made it all the way through this process. Um, but I, I can't in good conscience say that I am, that I feel rescued, that I feel better You know, ministry was like who I was. I thought I would be doing that forever. And now I work for a law firm. And it stinks. Yeah. And it, and it's just, yeah. And I, I really thought that I could have made it through anything. and still be in ministry. I didn't think, you know, you see so many people in ministry just get taken down by various things. And I guess it was arrogance on my part to think, you know, I'm I'm not going to get, nothing's going to take me down with this. You know, I'm I'm just going to retire and I'm going to be in ministry in some form for the rest of my life. You know, we all are in ministry, but full-time ministry. And then I'm just not in it anymore and it everything changed and my view of myself changed and my identity what I was proud of about myself changed and I'm still wrestling with that I'm still processing that and I I, I guess in some form I will be for the rest of my life you know processing it but I hope I know that rescue lies in truth 
in God's truth. I know that if I have any hope, if we have any hope of recovering from any crisis in our life, the answer does not lie in anything apart from God's truth. It doesn't. And if I can hold on to that, I, I know that I don't want to say everything's going to be okay, but I, I know that ultimately God will be glorified. I'll say that. No matter what happens. If I can hold on to that, that rescue does not take place apart from God's truth, if I can lock in on that, I know that God will be glorified even in our distress, even in our hurts, even in things that, that are tragic, even in things that wreck our lives for a time. Here, God's holding up truth, and so often we're begging and pleading for something else. And He's saying, no, this is the answer. Seek my truth. And what's amazing is this last verse. I have strayed like a lost sheep. Seek your servant. The psalmist is not saying, Lord, just give me time to get it together. I, I, can, I can make it through this. You know, don't be mad at me. Don't, you know, don't leave me. You know, he's not pleading like that. He's saying, um, I've wandered and I've walked away and I've gone into hiding and I, I need you to come find me. How powerful is that? That this is the message that God's giving us. That it's okay to say, come find me. I'm, I got myself lost. I've wandered. And, I've, and I don't know how to get out. Please come find me. Please seek your servant. And I don't, I don't love like little pithy stories. But this one I, th- I want to share with you. It's from, um, it's one of the most vivid memories I have as a child. And you'll probably find a little humor in it, but I hope that you'll see the connection and the power. Um, or, the, you know, how it points to, to God. Um, so when I was, I might need my sister's help. How old were we when we went to Sesame Place? Were we... My sister Megan. So I was 10, you, you were 3. Alright, maybe you were, might be young. Okay, so maybe I'm 9, 10 years old. And you guys know Sesame Place, right? Um, up in Langhorn. And, you know, as, now that I'm a parent, I see this completely differently. <laughs> um, yeah, and, <laughs> you know, I, I think about, oh my goodness, my parents spent so much money to take us to Sesame Place. <laughs> That's like the first thing that I think of. And 
So we go, we go to, it was the summer, it was my sister and I, and my parents, my younger sister Steph wasn't born yet, and so they have, if you've been to Sesame Place, you know, like, right when you go in, kind of to the left, there's these two water slides, okay, and my parents said, all right, go up this one, we're going to wait at the bottom, and we're going to take your picture as you come down, so I went up the water slide, came down, they took my picture. I said, I want to do that again. They said, okay, we'll be right here. Go ahead up. So if you're familiar with, uh, you know, amusement park type things, there, I get to the steps, and over here, steps to another slide that looked way cooler than the slide I was riding on. (laughs) These people, this slide, there were no rafts. These people had rafts and, like, big boats and, like, it was higher, and I was like, all right, well, I'll just step out of line and go in that line. So I didn't think anything of it. I didn't think where the slide's going to end up, and it wouldn't be where my parents were. So I go wait in line. I come sliding out of the different slide, go to where my parents were supposed to be, and they weren't there. And panic starts to set in. I'm like, okay, why are my parents not here? And now I realize that it dumped the, the other slide dumped me out somewhere other and they were they were trying they were trailing me up this ladder, up these steps, lost sight of me. And I never came out of the tube. <laughs> so as any parent would do, they panicked and they started looking for me. So I started looking for them, they started looking for me. And the ridiculous thing, now I go to Sesame Place, and I'm like, how did I get lost in this place? It's so small. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the, from where the slide is to the main gate is like 20 feet. But somehow I'm like, you know, in a jungle. I might as well. But, yeah. <laughs> and I'm panicking. I can't find my mom and dad. And... I hear over the loudspeaker, Bart Welsh, please come to the main office, main desk. And I'm like, I do not know where that is. <laughs> <laughs> and I realized in that moment, I had messed up. I had wandered. But all I could think about was, I just want my dad And that's where God wants us when we wander. He wants us to stop where we are and say, I just want my dad. And we have so much pride. And we try and fight through it and get through it on our own. And we don't. We just get more lost, right? I am ne- they're never going to let me speak here again. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Matthew chapter 18, verses 12 through 14. That's what I want to close with. These are Jesus' words. He says, What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, Will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go look for the one that wandered off? 
And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in Heaven is not willing that any, any of these little ones should perish. And he's talking about little ones. He's using these children that are with him as an, an illustration. That we need childlike dependence on God in order to be rescued. We need childlike dependence on His truth, on who He is and His love for us. And God's truth is not a possession of the intelligent. It's not, God's truth is not the, a possession of someone who is intellectually superior. It's the possession of the humble and the dependent on God. If you have wandered, whether it's sin, whether it's a tragedy, whether it's difficulty, whether it's financial, whether it's health, whatever your circumstances has caused you to be in crisis and you've wandered and you've walked away and you're hiding from God, Isaiah 53, 6 says, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. But the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. If, if you're wandering, we're about to share in communion together. If you're a child of God this morning, and you've wandered, whether it's intentional, whether you've walked away from God, you said, you know what, I have too many problems, I, I can't deal with this God stuff anymore, and you walked away. Or maybe you're off track and you don't know how you got off track. Say, Lord, seek your servant this morning and come share in communion. Confess to him that you, you, you've wandered, you've got off path, you, truth hasn't been, hasn't had the central place in your heart that it needs to have. And come share in the table. It's okay to sit there and just say, it's enough to just say, I've wandered, Lord, seek your servant. I'm lost enough to say that. And he's faithful. And if you want his truth, he will give it to you abundantly. He will. And you might not, it might not take, it won't happen overnight. It will not. But truth will transform you. And it will bring you back to the place you need to be in fellowship with him. And His truth through Jesus is what will rescue you. So I think Pete's going to come, right? And we'll, we'll pray as Pete comes and 
Let's share in the table together. Let's pray.